Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Another word in your ear where we're looking at a terrific new book about the magnificent Scottish poet and uh, humorist and, and writer and performer Ivor Cutler with its, its author, Bruce Lindsay. Bruce, it's lovely to see you. I mean, the first thing I, I think we ought to establish is, and the, your book is, is called A Life Outside the Sitting Room. First thing is, is, is how would you describe Ivor Cutler and, and what he did? Well, how, would you, how, would you, how would you put that? How would I describe? I have somebody who'd never known him. It's this sort of slightly gnomish, um, heavily Scottish accented poet, come playwright, come children's author, come performer, come songwriter, come uh, activist, um, with an immediately recognisable voice, possibly one of the most immediately recognisable speaking voices mm. in the entire world. Um, and a very individual approach to his arts. So, yeah, that's a good point, because, you know, you, you must presumably bump into people at parties and say, what are you doing? Oh, I'm writing a book about Ivor Cutler, and they go, who the hell's Ivor yeah, who Cutler? who the hell's yeah. that? Yeah. I, I, and I suppose what you're really saying there is you probably know him, though though you're not aware that not you aware know of it. Is that Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think anybody, certainly of kind of our generation, He's been there. You've you've heard him. You've you've heard about him or of him. You've seen him on TV or you've seen him on Magical Mystery Tour. He's he's everywhere. I describe him recently as just kind of a bit like a, a Zelig character. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah, he's there. He's there or thereabouts everywhere. Right from the end of the fifties, almost to to his death in in the early noughties. That's what I couldn't believe yeah. in the book, you know. Said, My mm. God, he did all those things. And then he yeah. popped up on this. And then he was on that. And then he was a regular on this. And mm. I have no memory of it. Uh, yeah, there's certain bits mm. of it I remember. It was quite well known in the late 50s. It was incredible. But there's a bit in the book where, I mean, I can remember I can remember seeing him on Magical Mystery Tour when I first uh, sort of heard of him. And then, and then hearing Grutz for Tea on the John Peel show. I can remember vividly the impact that had. But you describe your first encounter with him very vividly in the book. So tell us about that. 
Yeah, it was, I guess it's slightly unusual that I encountered him on the page rather than on the on the radio or the telly. Um, and unusually for me, I can remember almost to the hour when it happened because I was a very precocious Billy No Mates kind of teenager, and I'd gone to see Centipede, uh, this this fifty piece <laughs> contemporary. <laughs> Classic. Not Slade, ladies and gentlemen. Centipede. Centipede. Centipede, (laughs) um, At Lanchester Arts Festival in 1971. And and, um, I was on the way home and I picked up a programme on the way out of the hall. And it said, you know, the rest of the the, the festival programme includes these people. And there was this poem. And I was being driven home. My dad was driving me home. And there was a poem called Shoes. And it simply went, I think... Thin shoes tell us more about the world we live in than thick ones. Yeah, it's quite amusing. Yeah, sort of sparked a, a bit of a, a giggle from from fourteen uh, year old me or thirteen year old me or whatever I was. Um, and it was written by this bloke called Ivor Cutler. Right. I'd never heard of him, and it turned out he was playing the festival the next night. I, I couldn't get back, so I didn't. I didn't see him. Um, he was playing a gig supporting Curved Air. Um, which, again, how he managed to do things like that, we might come on to. And then shortly afterwards, I heard him on a Peel session, and and that was it, really. Um, when you put the voice and, and the words together, it becomes instantly unforgettable, I think. That um, incredible sing-song tone that he had. Yeah. Exaggeratedly Scottish, wasn't it? It was. I mean, he claimed it was a combination of growing up in Glasgow, going to Jordan Hill Teacher Training College, and going out with a girl from Isla. Um, and he said his accent was a combination of all three of those things. But of course, he, he was brought up in a Jewish family as well. So he grew up listening to Yiddish a lot and, and, and listening to Scottish spoken in, in uh, with a sort of East European accent as well. So it's all of those things create that. And who would have inspired him? Was it was it the goons and people like that? Was it um, was it the Marx Brothers? I mean, what, what would he have been listening I, to and watching? He certainly recognised. Um, acknowledges Spike Milligan on more yeah. occasions as Spike and therefore the goons he listened to. Um, I, I've always born in 1923, so the goons appeared when he was sort of in his late 20s. Um, and he acknowledges he listened to the goons and he enjoyed Spike Milligan. I think when he was younger, he, he must have seen the Marx Brothers. Um, he, he, you know, he went to the cinema in Glasgow and around the time they were producing the great Marx Brothers movies, Duck Soup, Horse Feathers, Night at the Opera. Um, although I couldn't find any direct reference to that. I do suggest that in the book. Um, Franz Kafka, of course, beloved of stand-up comedians everywhere. Yeah. Um, a smile, a song, and, and, a, <laughs> and a large beetle. Um, and he said Kafka changed his humour from child childlike to adult. Um so there's Kafka is, is a big uh, a big influence as well. I think Ivor soaked up influences from all over the place. I mean, he was yeah you know, he was a visual artist as well. He enjoyed drawing, painting, and sculpture. Um, so he you know Juan Miro is, is is somebody else who gets quoted, and various other people that he worked with. Sometimes the influence lasted a few years. Sometimes it lasted a lot longer. Lenny Bruce was another one. Um, yeah, Lenny Bruce played a a residency at the Establishment Club, Peter Cook's Club in London um, in the early 60s. And Ivor also had a residency around the same time. And Ivor would go and see Lenny Bruce. And he said, um, yeah, fantastic influence. Again, another Jewish comedian. Yeah. Uh, grew up in the middle of a large immigrant community in a large city. 
it seems so amazing that somebody that unorthodox you know got on television because i mean ned sherrin put him on a show didn't he on a television show in about 1959 seems astonishing really how open-minded people were yeah and his first broadcast i think was on tv was on that program tonight with cliff mitchellmore um Ivor had tried for a couple of years. He moved to London in 52 and started writing songs fairly soon after, and, and not poems, but songs. And he tried for a couple of years to find somebody to publish them, with the idea being that he would be the writer and other people would record. Um, and nobody did until he walked into the offices in Denmark Street of a publisher called Box & Cox, um, very close sort of 17, 18 years later to where the Sex Pistols used to rehearse. Um, and Mr. Box seemed quite taken with Ivor. And so he got um, Ned Sherin round one evening with his friend Carol Brahms, the, the, the writer, um, basically to have a look at Ivor playing some songs. And, and Sherin writes that they arrived at the offices of Box and Cox Music Publishers of Denmark Street to find Mr. Box peeing in the sink. Um, so they, they walked in and um, Mr. Box showbiz, uh, yeah, the glamour himself, the, gla- the glamour of showbiz yeah, yeah, and yeah. Ivor sang a couple of songs and Ned Sherring, bless him, put him on the programme the following week I think um, because that's a key thing isn't it, he was really a performer, wasn't he you, yeah you, you didn't necessarily want to read what he wrote you wanted to hear him, hear him perform it yeah. say it, so it Yes, yeah. like it only really struck me when Mark and I did one of these chats with John Cooper Clark not long ago. Uh, yeah, yeah. And John Cooper Clark is a performer. Yeah. Yes. The yeah. poetry is part of the performance, you yeah. know, but he is, you get a certain persona, which, you know, has an effect. He's dramatic and funny. And I suppose Ivor Cutler was that kind of seam of performer, wasn't he? Yeah, I think that voice is so distinctive that even though I first read him rather than heard him, as soon as I heard him, I can't pick up anything of his now and, and not have that voice Hear that. reading it to me. Yeah, the test case is that you can't imagine it working if anybody else recited no. it. It's like no. John Cooper Clark. Those poems don't work unless they're done by John Cooper Clark. Yeah. They don't translate beyond that, really. Yeah, I think that's true. There's a certain something added with those very distinctive voices um, that you you don't get just by reading them in your own voice. And I mean, a lot of either stuff makes absolutely no sense when you read it off the the printed page, anyway. And yet, when he he reads it to you, that yeah, yeah. sense appears to magically appear. Yeah. Even yeah. though at the end of it, you think, well, actually, I don't really know what that was all about. But hey, there you go. I was intrigued by the the idea in the book that um, he kind of he invented himself, didn't he? You know, so it was he, he he wasn't a superstar, but he sort of treated himself as if he was. You know what I mean? He could make his own rules. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and a lot of the time, you, you in the book, you're saying, "Well, that's what he said about himself." But I went and checked with somebody else, and they said. Mm-hmm. No, he used to say the opposite of that, you know, the, the yeah. day after. Tell tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, Ivor did invent Ivor Culler to some extent, um, but I think it's Hunter Davis in one of his books about the Beatles said if if Ivor Cutler was artifice, um, he kept up that artifice for his entire life. So I, I think artifice is not the right phrase. But Ivor, if you see photographs of, of younger Ivor, um, he gets more distinctive physically um, visually, as you go through the years, Ivor in the RAF looks pretty much like any other young RAF recruit. 
either teaching looked pretty much like any arty 50s, 60s uh, school teacher wants to look. But then gradually he becomes this very distinctively dressed man. He went through phases of, of liking different styles, but always very distinctively dressed. Um, you know, a selection of hats, a seemingly endless selection of hats, um, jumpers, brightly coloured waistcoats, jackets and so on, and plus twos um, and shorts and all sorts of things that he put together um, with this persona, as you say. Um, so how, was was any of that an act, do you think? Because there's a bit in the book where people always talk about him as being eccentric, and he, he said that he, he wasn't eccentric, everyone else was eccentric. Mm. Then he got all these stories about how he's on tour with somebody, I think it was Van Morrison, and mm. rather than sleep in his hotel room, which was too hot, he went off and slept in a, in a waiting room somewhere, I think. Yeah, yeah, these stories, it's like David was saying, you, you hear a lot of stories from Ivor, which vary slightly in the telling. Yeah. But the Van Morrison story came to me from a, a couple of sources. Um and he toured with Van Morrison. Um, in fact, yeah. the first time Andy Kershaw ever set eyes on Ivor Cutler was was on that tour. Um, and the story, Ivor hated hotels. Over the years, he grew to really hate hotels, to hate being away from his own flat at night. And he didn't like noise, and he didn't like air conditioning, and he hated Muzak. Yes, he didn't like applause, did he? He didn't like he, applause. He, I, applause is a whole different thing. But, I mean, he wouldn't even get lifts if they had music in them. Is that, that right? Yeah, That's right. He hated Muzak. And so one night, on tour with Van, he, he got, you know, Van was a fan, made sure he, they, they got into good hotels. But this particular hotel, for whatever reason, too much noise, too much air conditioning, whatever. Ivor just couldn't settle. So the story goes, he went to the local railway station and slept on the platform. Um, but the weird thing about it is when I've seen it written down, Ivor says it was a hotel, I think, in Shepherd's Bush, which is very odd because Ivor lived in Laurier Road. Yes, why would he go to that Shepherd's Bush hotel? So whether it was a hotel somewhere else, um, I, I don't know, but it's a story that follows Ivor around, um, like many stories. But you, I think he enjoyed the retelling of stories in slightly different fashions to confuse journalists and interviewers and, and people. And, yeah. and as he got older, some details got missed off. And yeah. The RAF story, which often people talk about, where it, some genius in the, the RAF at the outbreak of the Second World War decided Ivor would make a good navigator which I've never understood. Um, so they sent him on a navigator call. I mean, in fairness to Ivor, I must say, he volunteered for RAF service. He wasn't conscripted. He, he went in as a volunteer. Um, somebody thought he'd make a good navigator. He got as far as Canada for his training, his, his one trip to North America. And then at some point he failed the course and he, he, he left. He never became a navigator. But the variable ways of the telling of that story, they're almost endless, the thing people pick up on, which I think is very funny, is that he was booted off the course for being too dreamy. Um, and Ivor says, you know, I, I didn't really enjoy plotting courses. I like looking at the clouds and looking at the stars. Um, but the idea, if he was dreamy, the idea of, of sending an air crew up in a Lancaster bomber with a dreamy navigator is just terrifying. I mean, they it's wouldn't. Very good grounds them. for dismissal to me. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You just wouldn't want the man anywhere near your. Uh, navigation equipment when you're trying to fly over enemy territory and, and, and dodge flak and, and, and ME109s and whatever. Um, but it's another very common story about Ivor you know, that you hear. Um, but the thing that struck me right in the book was that a lot of what people said to me about Ivor, people who remember him from Peel centuries, 
is about those post-Peel years. And they didn't re didn't really know anything about his earlier stuff. We've touched on about being on um, Tonight with Cliff Mitchell. More yeah. So I, I wanted to dig into that. Like you say, how I've emerged as a performer. So it's absolutely fascinating to me, that whole life. I, I, I'm a classic case of I only knew him really through John Peel and me too, yeah, yeah. so forth. And um, but but he taught at he taught, but he, he taught for a long time, did he really? But he taught at Summerhill, which yes, was the the Very one progressive school. Free, free progressive school in Suffolk, is it in Suffolk? Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. He spent a couple of years at Summerhill. He started teaching in Paisley in Scotland. Um <laughs> that's a change. Paisley yeah. to Summerhill. Paisley to Summerhill, because he obviously he was Glaswegian. He, he went back to Glasgow after he uh, left the RAF and then he did teach training in Glasgow. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, he taught in Paisley where it was very strict Scottish uh, education and teachers were expected to, to uh, strap the children regularly. And then he went to Summerhill, this very liberal school run in, founded by A.S. Neal, who was an educational reformer. Um, and he loved A.S. Neal. I mean, he's one of the few people he consistently spoke highly of. Um, you know, I, he said, I loved that man. Um, he was a saint. Um, and yet he only stayed at Summerhill for two years. And I, I spoke to A.S. Neal's daughter, uh, Zoe Reedhead, who now runs the school. Um, and she remembers either being there, but she, she was only young at the time, couldn't remember why he left. But it seems quite odd that he would have left somewhere that seems to suit his approach to teaching um, almost, you know, perfectly. But after a couple of years, he, he had gone. He said it's because there weren't enough women around, uh, which, again, might be true because either did enjoy the company of women throughout his life. 
But he left somehow after two years and came to London and taught for the uh, Inner London Education Authority for the rest of his career. So his teaching career is, is, all, is 30 years long. So there's quite, quite a lot of uh, prominent people were taught by him. Yeah. I mean, the great thing, he taught primary school mostly at Paddington Green and uh, Fox Primary in Notting Hill. And Notting Hill attracted a lot of artistic people. So their children went to school and were taught by Ivor. Um, Roger McGough, the poet, his children were taught by Ivor. Ken Russell, um, the film, producer, film director, um, his children went to Fox and were taught by Ivor. Uh, John Williams, the classical guitarist, his daughter Kate, who's now a jazz pianist, she remembers being taught by Ivor as well. So he did teach quite a few people with, quite a few children with prominent parents, but who also became quite prominent in their fields. You know, Ken Russell's son, Xavier, for example, is a leading film director, uh, film editor, sorry, now. Right. But also you, you get this uh, the syndrome of, him, him sort of becoming well-known through Peel and Magical Mystery Tour, and people not really connecting him with the person that they knew as a school teacher. Yeah, some people did, some people didn't. Um, I think if you were in that kind of artistic community broadly, you knew who Ivor was, and one or two people um, certainly did. Roger McGough did, and, and Ken Russell did. Um, but a lot of other parents had no idea who he was, and he didn't talk about it very much with his kids his pupils, unless they asked him. So if, if one of the pupils said, we saw Magical Mystery Tour on telly, was that you, sir? He would say, yes, that was me with my friends, the Beatles. Um, but he wouldn't make a big deal out of it. The fact that he appears with uh, the world's leading popular beat combo. <laughs> um, well, is, that made, that, I mean, that his adoption by the counterculture, as it were, is a very big, a very important part of, of people getting to know him, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And again, it's something which started before the Beatles. He yeah. he was adopted, if that's the right word, by International Times. Um, there's a cartoon in the book which is just signed Cutler, so I've no 100% proof, but we're pretty sure it, it appeared in International Times. We're pretty sure it's one of Ivan's. Um, so he was adopted by the International Times almost from its first issue, so two or three years before Magical Mystery Tour. In fact, he played a benefit gig for IT, uh, the Roundhouse, I think, as well. But mostly when he he talked in later years about that adoption by the cult, counterculture, he puts it down to Peel, and he puts it yeah. down to Peel Sessions. Uh, the Beatles, you know, he did Magical Mystery Tour, and then he, he did an album which was produced by George Martin off the back of that. But most of the countercultural stuff was, was from Peel. And Peel stuck with him. I mean, I think a lot of the attraction for people like the Beatles was he was doing... Uh, outrageously adventurous and uncommercial things that they, mm. they they wanted to support, but you know, Peel tended to drop people. But you know, he was still playing him, wasn't he, throughout the eighties? I think, whether apart from the fall, I think the most number of sessions on the John Peel show were by Ivor Cutler. Was yeah, that right? It is. Yeah, I mean, I think David Gedge squeezes past by virtue of being in a couple of different outfits. But yeah. Ivor, Ivor as Ivor, um, yeah, I think he did twenty-two, and I think the fall did twenty-four. Yeah, um, and he was he was performing on John Peel sessions into the nineties, and then sort of Andy Kershaw took over and made that. such good radio too. It sounded so incredible. Him with his harmonium, just wonderful. Yeah, it's, and, it's also worked in contrast, didn't it? Because that was the interesting thing about yeah that you could have the Edgar Broughton band on the <laughs> fall or whatever, and then you would have this guy with a harmonium or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I mean. He, he, yeah, when Ivor started on the Peel show, Peel was playing a lot of, he was still playing 
early Tyrannosaurus Rex. He was playing Martin Carthy, uh, a lot of folk and stuff as well. But Ivor even rises above those. I mean, the harmonium just sort of droning. It always had kind of clattery keys. It was never quite in good repair. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, that's true. And he would clatter away on the harmonium, a fairly simple um, instrument, which he enjoyed partly for that reason. Um, and he would recite or he would sing over the top of the harmonium these very strange and bizarre stories, um, some of which would last literally eight to ten seconds, and the occasional one which might extend beyond a couple of minutes, and then some of his storytelling, which goes a bit further. But, yeah, it was a, a real contrast. He was Peel was playing, you know, blues, prog, and then punk, and then post-punk, and... and but there's, there's always a place in broadcasting for the person who provides the contrast, isn't mm, it? Yeah. It's like you're going back to The Tonight Show, Cliff Mitchell or whatever. Yeah. It's contrast there, isn't it? It's contrast with John Peel. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's difficult to know how... The, the Tonight Show didn't go down too well. I mean, again, there are three or four different versions of how long either lasted on The Tonight Show. Um, he says he was booked for five days, but they banned him after two for being too odd, too much of a contrast. And uh, there's another story that the power blew on his first night, so they put him on for the second night and then decided he'd had enough. But Peel, as you say, stuck with him. Peel's listeners were very different, I think, to uh, Cliff Mitchell Moore's viewers. Um, and the Peel show, they liked Ivor. He never made it into a festive 50, which I find quite surprising. I thought he might have snuck in, but I couldn't find any reference to him in one of Peel's festive 50s. Um, but he did what strange if he had fans as such, did he? That's a, that was more of a fan thing, mm, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I think Ivor has a very strong base of, of uh followers and fans today, but we've come to him at different points, yeah. In his history, the ones who came to him through tonight and, and um. You know, the radio, the home service radio shows are kind of getting that bit older, but and the younger ones who are coming to him even now through Six Music and the repeats of sessions and, and people like yeah. Tony. Um the fan you know, the fan base stays, it just drops off at one end and builds again at the other. So what do you think he'll be remembered for? And I think you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna read us a bit, are you? Of uh, of, yeah. of the piece. Well go on. Yeah. Tell, yeah. tell us what he's remembered. Is it live for. in a Scotch sitting room? Life in a Scotch Sitting Room, yeah. to Life in a Scotch Sitting Room, Volume Two. Now, Volume Two is is crucial because there is no Volume One. Of course, um, that old gag. That old gag. <laughs> um, Wilbur's. Yes. <laughs> so I think this is probably what people will remember him most for. A lot of people will remember his Magical Mystery Tour stuff. A lot of people can sing along to the songs, but the Life in a Scotch Sitting Room had a life as a series of, of, of episodes on John Peel sessions and Andy Kershaw sessions. Some of the episodes appear on these different albums, maybe a couple of episodes per album. And there's also a live recording from a recording at the Third Ear Centre in Glasgow. There's a series of episodes there's, in the book. It goes up to, I think, 20, 21, in fact, 20, 21 episodes. And they purport to be about Ivor's childhood in Scotland. Um, but it's a very bizarre childhood. And I just want to read the first half of a story, um, which to some extent centres on an unnamed brother. And it's episode 15. Um, 
I will not attempt an Ivor Cutler impersonation, but because I have a Scottish, <laughs> a Scottish background, some of the, my old Scots might come in. So this is episode 15. They don't have titles apart from the number. One day, my brother took offence. Jumping onto the kitchen bed, he opened the cupboard above, drew himself up and shut the door. Where is your brother? asked my mother when she got back. Up there, I pointed. Why? she queried. We sat. Why? she repeated, making the tomato sauce fall over. I called him a hypocrite, I muttered, looking askant at the jaw box. Do you know what hypocrite means? laughed Mother in spite of herself. Blushing, I shook my head. She lifted the big brush and banged the cupboard. Come on out, you fool, your supper's getting cold. There was no response, so she shared it out. We all took some, but I had to hind, hand mine back because of the look on my face. I'll not go any further. Suffice to say, his brother never reappears out of the cupboard and is never seen again. Um, it's a weird combination of all sorts of things. It reminds me slightly of um, Under Milkwood with those kind of uh, mm. uh, odd characters in the community. It reminds me slightly of, of the Royal Family TV show. And it reminds me slightly of Rawlinson End, actually, Viv Stanch. Well, that's another okay? thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they they this little both, fantasy world. Yeah, the Rawlinson end and Life in Scott sitting room appeared within a few months of each other. Um, Ivers appeared first, and and Viv Stanchels appeared shortly after. So whether there's a, a link there, I, I wouldn't like to say. Yeah. Um, but this is, I mean, there are snippets of truth in Life in a Scott sitting room. You, you can read through this, and yes, it's actually about a family called Cutler. Um, and at some point we learn that actually, yes, the person telling the tales is a little boy called Ivor. Um, but then you read other things about this rather odd family. They don't live in a tenement flat, which is where I've lived for the first few years of his life. They live in a house with a field at the end of the street. Um, they don't seem to have a toilet because they all micturate into a large sponge, which mother or grandmother squeezes out of the kitchen window a few times a day. Lovely. <laughs> and they never open their bowels because that was just not done. Um, and so you learn all and all of these weird, clearly inaccuracies about Scottish life come through with little facts about Ivor's childhood. So you say that there are still the new generations of Ivor fans. Do they gather? Do, <laughs> does that happen? I'm, I'm not aware of regular gatherings, but um, there is a Facebook page which has in, you know, upwards of a thousand members, which is, is fairly active. And I, I know there is someone in Glasgow who's, who's planning on a, an Ivor Cutler Memorial Supper for his centenary, which is on January the 15th, uh, 2023. Um, so there'll be a small get together, I guess, there. Um, there was a tribute. He's still very celebrated, isn't he? Particularly in Scottish uh, kind of literary and musical circles. I mean, as he's. Uh, Forever been kind of commemorated, isn't he, at festivals? It's oh, yeah. festivals. Yeah, he, he was commemorated at Celtic Connections a couple of years ago. Yeah. So, you know, there was a tribute album came out from uh, a whole host of, of predominantly Scottish artists led by uh, Citizen Bravo and, and Raymond MacDonald. Um, that came out two or three years ago. Um, Robert Wyatt's on that. Robert's been a, a huge supporter yeah. of his work really all his, all his life since they first met in the early 70s. Um, there are pockets of fans all over. There are pockets of fans in Japan, um, in the States, 
Canada, Eastern Europe. They're, they're all over the place, but uh, I think sort of very widespread. So physical get-togethers, um, I'm not aware of. But it'd be nice. never, you never know; it may happen. And do you? I love, I love the idea that there'll be people. To, usually at conventions, either there are always people turning up dressed as the person they're celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> Just the idea that a whole line of people might arrive with little little peak caps and. Uh, yeah. Holding a harmonium with them. <laughs> yeah, the harmonium might be a bit of a struggle, but uh, yeah, I think I think genuine Ivers fans wouldn't try and dress up as Ivor. It would be a little. No, it's it's, no, it's, it's Groucho Marx, isn't it? Really, they wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's an absolutely. It's a fascinating story. I, I you know, to use the old slogan, I never knew there was so much in it. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really, you know, because I. I, I, as I say, I only knew the latter half. You know, it was the mm. early stuff. It's absolutely extraordinary as well. It's a, it's a it's a really worthwhile piece of work, Bruce. It really Thank is. You. Thank you. Uh, and um, out in time to to mark what would have been his hundredth birthday. Yes, that's right. January the fifteenth, as I said, um, twenty twenty three. So he made it into his his mid eighties, and his last gig, I think, he was. 81 um when he that that last performance was filmed by the bbc so he had a couple of years of, of retirement after that um before his his death but yeah the centenary I hope will be celebrated across the world with uh, all the things that i've would have liked like quiet cups of tea and, yes, and, absolutely. and yes. sandwich and no fire gruts yes yes, gruts, yes. Gruts, yes. you never knew what they were gruts for tea one of my favorites and you everyone's eating gruts you don't know anything about what gruts are apart from the fact that if you leave them around they might poison the dog if the dog ate them. yes well, that's your and only yet, clue and and yet gruts is is the sort of word that somehow must describe some sort of Scottish meal. Yeah, yeah. Yes, surely. It sounds like a... It's like neeps somebody. and tatties, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Neeps and tatties and Colin Skink and... <laughs> and <Brooks. laughs> yeah. Well, look, thanks very much for talking to us. Um, nice to talk to you. It's a wonderful and, book. Really, yeah, really recommended. Yeah, it's a live account, a life outside the sitting room. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Bruce. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.